Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. People started protesting where Bazizi set himself on fire, and I think what ignited people to mobilize is when um, the police was shooting on people and people died. That's when everyone realized, okay, we are Tunisians too, you know. Aya Shebi is a political activist and blogger from Tunisia. She describes herself as a Tunisian, African and Muslim woman, and she's quickly become a well-established voice for young people on the continent. So I was traveling around uh, the continent, uh, training youth in blogging, in mobilization, civil resistance. And when I realized that common struggle, I started this platform uh, called Africa Youth Movement to bring all these organizers together to think about how we can accelerate change on the continental level and think beyond our countries and beyond our own uh, national struggles. Aya has studied in Tunisia, London and in the U.S., and she's now the founding chair of the Africa Youth Movement. She became well-known during the Tunisian Revolution, when, as an undergraduate student, she wrote dozens of blog posts which were published by Al Jazeera, Open Democracy, Foresight Africa and several other media outlets. I think we are going into a good direction. Obviously, there are challenges economic. Uh, you know, with uh, with many of the uh, some of the violence that happened, uh, some of the corruption that we're still fighting for. You know, we're fighting on on different fronts. But I think um, the foundation of that is that people are involved, citizens are aware and conscious, and youth are trying to find the rightful place that they deserve and leadership position they deserve. Then we can definitely continue to do that, and the fight will continue. This is small changes a podcast about how sometimes the seemingly smallest change can have the biggest impact. I'm Lucy Lamble. Take us back to your early years then. Did you grow up in, in Tunis? Yeah, I, I actually grew up as a nomad. So my dad used to work in the army and every two years we used to move to a different city. So I studied in probably seven different schools, lived in different cities across Tunisia. And I think that really helped me build who I am today because I'm really open to new experiences, to cultures, understanding the diversity. And Tunisia of the south is completely different from Tunisia of the north. And I learned a lot traveling and getting friends from all sorts of uh, backgrounds and cultures and even languages because Tunisia has different uh, diversity of indigenous language. It was eye-opening to me. And then when I started traveling across the world, it was very easy for me to really be open to uh, people from other cultures and experiences. (laughs) 
Looking back to when she was younger, Ayas says she never envisaged a life of politics when she was growing up. And her family certainly didn't encourage the idea. My family is fairly conservative, both my father's family, my mother's family. I'm the only non-veiled, I'm the only young woman who has chosen to live by herself when I went to university in the capital. I've had a lot of moments in the family to stand up for my right as a young woman and to say, I don't want to do this and I, w I, don't, I want to do this or I, want, I don't want to wear this, I want to wear this. So I think the revolutionary in me that was there all the time to speak up for what I stand for, but not, it has not been uh, in politics, particularly because my father was in the army and it was very uh, sensitive situation to get involved in anything. Um, so then the revolution was a moment for me to really take on that opportunity and be a political voice. What was their reaction when you said, uh, I'm going to stand up for, for what I believe in at this moment, effectively putting your head above the parapet? So I didn't see my dad for 10 months. He didn't know what I was doing and he would hear about what I do just from the media. <laughs> I was banned from Egypt and he read it on the news. And he was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so yeah, they, they did not know what I was involved in because I was hiding it. But at the same time, I understand that I'm an only child. My parents, all they care about is my protection and just being safe. Um, I think the last two years, my parents started to be proud of what I do and started to understand and just want to know that I'm fine. And we, all, we have that debate in, in the house because I'm the human rights voice, but my dad's background in the military makes him also have very controversial opinions. But I think as of now, um, they're quite supportive of my activism. Yeah, But it hasn't been easy in the revolution to, to tell them what I do. The anger on the streets of Tunis has not been quelled. Today, police fired volleys of tear gas rather than live rounds. But the people have discovered their voice and a taste for freedom and will not be denied. The Tunisian Revolution was the 2010-2011 uprising, born out of frustration with corruption and inequality, which eventually led to the forced resignation of President Ben Ali. For Aya, the uprising came as a real-world interruption to her university studies. It really happened at an interesting point. We were uh, preparing for the exams for the second, uh, the last term of the year. Um, and it was really one of those stupid dictators because we were protesting and struggling to prepare for exam and going into exam. And then uh, Ben Ali said, OK, we're going to stop school. And it was like, perfect, then we can just organize. We don't have to prepare for exams anymore. And then after that, six months really passed like um, years because so much happened and we were playing different roles as bloggers, as protesters, as coordinators, mobilizers, social media activists. But at the same time, uh, I was involved in the Red Cross. I was involved uh, on the Tunisian-Libyan borders when the Libya war started. So it, a lot happened in, in just six months going into the election 2011, end of 2011. It was in these poor back streets that Mohamed Bouazizi lived with his six brothers and sisters. We found his mother, Manubia, still tired from losing so much sleep over her son's death and she told us she never could have believed her son would kill himself. Probably I would say the catalyst or the igniting moment was when Bazizi set himself on fire and there was this picture of him completely wrapped um, in the hospital, completely burnt, and Ben Ali was standing uh, in front of his bed. And it was this picture of like, you're a murderer, you kill the person and you stand in the funeral. It was very ironic. Uh, people started protesting where Bazizi set himself on fire. And I think what ignited people to mobilize is when um, the police was shooting on people and people died. That's when 
everyone realized, okay, we, we are Tunisians too, you know. And that swept across the continent and people started to protest in different cities. For Aya, the protesters owe a lot to the power of social media. Obviously, we were blogging and mobilizing in different languages and coordinating on social media, creating Facebook events. Um, I think we were the first to create Facebook events and turn Facebook into a tool for social change. After the break, we'll hear more of what Aya did after the revolution in 2011 and the difficulties that young activists face when it comes to breaking age-old traditions. It remains also cultural when women don't speak up and say that I have uh, I've been subjected to rape. So as much as we want to do, you know, implement the law and do, um, you know, uh, change laws, we need to also work on the grassroots and work on cultural change and making women especially confident um, to, to speak up for their rights. We'll be right back. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In this week's books podcast, we look at two visionary projects to enable the voices of refugees to be heard. We walk with a group of Latter-day pilgrims who are using Chaucer's Canterbury Tales as a template for telling stories of injustice and survival. Plus, we meet a publisher who went to Lebanon to write a novel with Syrian and Palestinian refugees in a camp outside Beirut. All in this week's Books Podcast. Welcome back to Small Changes. I'm Lucy Lamble. Before the break, we met activist Aya Shebi, who told us what it was like to be part of a campaign to stage an uprising that eventually led to the Tunisian Revolution. Aya's campaigning hasn't been welcomed everywhere. During a trip in April 2014, where she had an overnight stay in Egypt, she was told by security officials that she was blacklisted from the country. She was given no reason why this decision was made, but the ban still stands today. However, it hasn't stopped Aya from working in other parts of the continent. Practically, since the revolution in Tunisia, I was looking into what would happen in Africa because I was volunteering at this refugee camp at the Libyan-Argenian borders, um, and Tunisian borders, and many of the migrants who came from Libya are Africans. And that was my first eye-opening to my African identity because we don't talk about it, we're not educated about it, we have no connection to it. Um, and I started looking at other uh, countries who were inspired by Tunisia, and they were actually inspired even before Bahrain and Yemen and Syria and all these countries that 
news tried to shed lights on. No one heard about Senegal, which just two weeks after our revolution started to race the, exactly the same slogan, degage, uh, in the streets um, in Dakar. And then Burkina Faso, Burkina Bay youth started to do their own uh, protesting, and they did a revolution. And both of them actually won the battle, and they had uh, elections and um, changed the regime. But I think for me, there was this uh, common struggle in Africa that no one was not, neither the media was looking at it, not donors, no organization, nothing was supporting what was happening in Africa. And it was a momentum that we could build on. Um, so I was traveling around uh, the continent, uh, training youth in blogging and mobilization, civil resistance. And when I realized that common struggle, I started this platform uh, called Africa Youth Movement to bring all these organizers together to think about how we can accelerate change on the continental level and think beyond our countries and beyond our own uh, national struggles. In Aya's opinion, the demographic of protesters is incredibly important in mobilizing against a regime. Particularly in Africa, where 70% of the continent is under 30. Uh, it has to be youth-led. Um, it has to be a little bit different from what happened in other centuries. We're a 21st century revolution, and it's I call it a leaderless revolution. So everyone has a political voice. Everyone has um, everyone is a political actor in the movement. It's not just Mandela or Martin Luther King or, or the Gandhi. Uh, there are other people need to be visible in the movement and it has to be non-violent. I think once the movement becomes violent, it loses its legitimacy. Uh, and we try to keep the practice of non-violence. We try to train people in non-violence. And I think what makes us probably different from other revolution happened previously is that we're very creative. We know how to hack the system. So we, we hacked a lot of social media that wasn't meant to be for organizing, like WhatsApp and Facebook and all these tools were just for socializing. And we turned them into tools for organizing. We're very much creative in the street because we live under oppressive regimes and we have to be creative in the way we protest and the way we do art and the way we organize and we meet ourselves um, in the safe spaces and, and, and organize them. I, I don't know. Uh, I guess um, I mean, back, I'm from pretty down south and a lot of people down there like to think that uh, they all they wear is kind of I guess clothes from the desert. I guess, for the, you know, the turbans and, and the turbans. robes, that's, that's a common thing that I've seen or heard about. There's a really lovely strand on your blog, the, the videos that you do, in which you ask people in different countries what they know about Arabic countries and what they make of Arabic people. What kind of reaction do you get? <laughs> it's really, really funny. I, I was um, a Fulbright scholar in the US. I was teaching Arabic. And I went through my campus asking people, uh, you know, these kind of questions about Arab countries. And people would say, um, I, w I would say, look, AK, um, name countries in North Africa. And they would say Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, you know, the countries that the news would shed lights on, right? So you can't really blame them. It's not malicious ignorance, but it's what they digest and absorb from the media. And um, you, people don't know about North African countries that is Maghrebian, that is Mediterranean, that is more than Arab. That's, uh, yeah, that is the Arabization of North Africa, but there is a lot of indigenous knowledge there. And people don't know there are Copts uh, in, in Egypt, for example, Christian, there are Jews in Tunisia and, and things like that. Uh, their religion is basically Muslims. Aya then decided to take the quiz to Kenya, where she asked people there what they knew about Arabs. They're beautiful people. They're good in trading. Yeah, they're boosting the economy. 
Um, when I went to African countries, it, it really shows the difference and many of the comments on the videos show that how Africans are educated, um, you know, because uh, I guess people from other countries live in their own bubbles and they don't know what's going on in the world. But because we meet, we have struggles, we are fighting for different things, we need to open up to the world and what's happening and we know probably more than what <laughs> European and American uh, people would know about their own countries. So it's, it's really ironic. Aya is particularly determined to fight for the rights of African women. She helped campaign against the sentencing to death of a Sudanese woman named Noura, who killed her husband after he raped her. She's also spoken out about early and forced marriages and virginity tests used against Egyptian protesters. I asked Aya how she continues to choose what to focus on when there are clearly so many injustices in the world. The world is going mad and um, in Africa Youth Movement we have five, 55 countries to, to work on in every country. There's so many women struggle, there's so many youth struggles. What we try to do is that to shed lights on, uh, on certain cases so that we mobilize around that momentum. The objective is not just to get new for example, in Sudan, out of jail, the momentum is to change the law and change the culture and get the youth involved. So we use the case to create kind of momentum in the country. How do we um, use uh, cases in different countries? Uh, basically, we try to shed light on things that are ignored and, and told. Uh, so the media perhaps will be very much focused on Syria at some point, you know, the last couple of years. We shed lights on, on other countries, on Congo and what's going on in Cameroon right now, Anglophone, Francophone uh, regions. So we try to choose... Uh, first based on what our members ask us to because they are asking for help and asking for support where the untold story is and then we mobilize around one case to, to make it public and then try to, to make a big change in the country. Since Ben Ali left, Tunisia has changed substantially. In 2014, a brand new constitution came into effect and just last year in 2017, a new law on violence against women was passed meaning, among other things, that women would no longer be forced to marry their rapists. I was interested to hear what these changes have meant in practice for the people of Tunisia. Obviously, you know, there's a difference between law and implementation. We haven't heard of any cases since then uh, that the law has been violated. But at the same time, we don't know yet if the law is actually favoring because it remains also cultural when women don't speak up and say that I have uh, I've been subjected to rape. So as much as we want to do, you know, implement the law and do um you know, uh, change laws, we need to also work on the grassroots and work on cultural change and making women especially confident um, to, to speak up for their rights. If there's anything that the various revolutions that took place on the African continent in the last decade have shown us, it's that there's ambition and hunger there. Change is wanted and so are ways to achieve it. But unemployment still remains a key issue in Africa. The World Bank reported in 2017 that youths account for 60% of all the continent's jobless. So how can young people mobilise with little or no resources? 
you know, the future of work is changing. Work will not be the same, will not be from eight to five, you know, office work will, will not be in the spaces that we uh, we used to work in. In Africa Youth Movement, we call our office a virtual office. We work in different countries. And so is funding. You have to be creative. Today we have crowdfunding. We have different platforms we can fund on. Most of our um, team are volunteers and they have their own uh, jobs and they take this as passion. But we try to make this a full-time. Activism should be a full-time. And I think organizers and activists should be respected and should be paid just like any other profession because they are the ones who make change and organizers then grow out the ones to make change. Of course, one of the other obstacles that young people face when trying to change the system is that it can be the elders from their own communities that stand in their way, sometimes in the name of tradition. I try, um, and I try to make a point that we are not in clash. We are very much appreciative and very much proud and very much inspired by the struggles of our elders. We're just a continuation of them. If they didn't exist, we wouldn't have existed. But at the same time, we really want to make sure that they understand we are radical just like they were when they're young. And we have new ideas, we have new vision, and we live in a different world. And maybe the path we want to choose is different from what they want us to do. It's very difficult to talk to elders um, to make them listen to you. Um, and until now, at the activism level, there hasn't been a real intergenerational dialogue. And we're trying to, to actually organize soon an intergenerational dialogue where we just take off suits. It's not going to be like a conference panels and listen, you know, sitting in suit and have a conversation. It has to be a retreat and no cameras and like off the records so that we can have a real dialogue, a real honest um, uh, conversation where it can take us forward because we need them and we want them to support us and uh, we just need them to listen to us and to our ideas. So is it better in Tunisia now than it was, say, in 2010? Tunisia is always the place to be. <laughs> Especially now in summer, you should go definitely to Tunisia and jump in the Mediterranean. Of course, I mean, there are challenges and change is not easy. Change is tough. Um, and that's why many people are resistant to change. That's why many people just want things to stay like they are because there is no disturbance, there is no difficulties. I think we are going into a good direction. Obviously, there are challenges economic, uh, you know, with uh, with many of the, uh, some of the violence that happened, uh, some of the corruption that we're still fighting for, you know, we're fighting on, on different fronts. But I think um, the foundation of that is that people are involved, citizens are aware and conscious, and youth are trying to find the rightful place that they deserve and leadership position they deserve. Then we can definitely continue to do that and the fight will continue. Special thanks to Aya Shebi for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop me a line at podcasts at theguardian.com. Small Changes is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Lucy Lamble. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.